A quick note before we get started. This episode is part of a series of shows we recorded on the floor of the Phoenix Convention Center during the Association of Corporate Council's 2019 annual meeting. I wanted to point that out in case you're curious about the background noises. I also wanted to thank the ACC for helping make these episodes possible. Now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts meet to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Womble Bond Dickinson. With me, as always, is my producer, Brian Ewing. I've got several special guests today. She's joined us in a podcast earlier this year, but Kristen Walker-Propes is here from our Irvine, California office. And Kristen, glad you can join us again. Thanks, Mark. And then we have two special guests. Kelly Armstrong is General Counsel and Corporate Secretary at Safe Auto Insurance. Kelly, I'm glad you could join us this morning. Glad to be here. Thanks. Uh, And we also have Jordan Dinos, who works uh, at Canal Insurance Company. She is a Corporate Counsel and Compliance Manager there at Canal and works with Chris Green, who is a former podcast guest and I think twisted uh, Jordan's arm into uh, joining us this morning as well. Not too hard. Thanks (laughs) for having me. Um, I'm excited to have you, and this is a t- I wanted to talk about a topic we haven't done on the in-house roundhouse, which is talking a little bit about some of the unique challenges and different perspectives that it is to be a woman in the law, and in particular, talk a little bit about making the ask, getting involved, and, and some of those issues. Um, you know, it's interesting to see the trajectory, and I know many of you have been more involved. There's a panel this morning on some of the women issue. You know, we've got more than 50% of women now graduating from law school, uh, but the numbers don't look good when you get to the partnership, an equity partnership at a, large, a lot of large firms. I think the last number I saw is 18%. You know, it depends how you measure it, but it's certainly not uh, the half that you might expect uh, from graduation. And I think that's true in some of the general, the in-house counsel surveys too, show far fewer women are general counsel than men. Women tend to earn less than men, both in-house and uh, in some law firm positions. And so I think we have a ways to go to get to the level of respect, parity that that we may want to see. And so I thought we'd just talk a little bit with three prominent women like yourselves in law about that issue, ways to combat that issue, and give tips really designed both at our female listeners who may be in that in-house position uh, trying to gain parity make sure they're getting the treatment they deserve, as well as the men listening that, that are recruiting women and having them on the staff. So I think it's a good topic. Um, and Krista, I may start with you because I think you were at a panel just this morning. Maybe you could share because not obviously some people are here at the ACC annual meeting in Phoenix, but many of our listeners weren't able to make it. What were some of the key takeaways from that panel this morning? So what I think a lot of the ladies, including myself, found pretty interesting was and it sort of intersects with all of these things we're talking about, about equal pay and conversation and different cultural differences, is making the ask that it probably isn't going to happen unless you make the ask. And as women, we're not as comfortable doing that. And even sort of the social dynamics about how to do that without appearing rude. And so one of the things we were talking about is how often do you make the ask? How do you encourage others to make the ask? And in what form do you do that? And is it successful? And when you say make the ask, can you, what, what, is this an ask for a job, for a raise, for all of that? For all, it could be for anything, for okay. a promotion, for a salary increase, for even information about what you're making compared to others, because information is sort of key. But any type of thing that you need to know, the information, to actually make the ask, men are just doing it more than the women are. Mm. Has there, that been your experience, Kelly? 
Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a universal experience as well. Harvard put out a study a while ago that was very fascinating to me where it determined that women feel the need to meet somewhere between 90 and 100 percent of the criteria to ask for the job, to even get into the position, whereas men will men will ask for the job if they meet 60 percent of the criteria. So that, <laughs> that difference is pretty substantial and obviously more women need to have the courage and the wherewithal to step up and make the ask. When it's interesting, I mean, the, the reason I'm at Canal is because I read that study. And wow. I, um, you know, I, w- I was in another job in Augusta, Georgia. You know, I enjoyed the job. I was good at it. But I was kind of tapped out there as a smaller market, looked across the border, got the South Carolina bar, and had just started to kind of look around. And this job came up, and I thought, it's insurance. I, I don't have a background in insurance. Um, but I had this article, and um, I kind of looked at the job description again, and I was like, all of these insurance things I've done in other contexts, like, it translates. And I'm just going to throw my hat in. And I literally ordered an insurance for dummies book on Amazon. <laughs> Good for you. Wow. And, um, and I, I, I led with that, really, my interview with Chris, you know, when we got to the point where he said, any questions, I said, well, you know, is it an impediment that I don't have this background? He was like, you know, wouldn't it be talking to you if you weren't smart? You can learn it, you know. And um, I just think that goes to show, you know, and it could have been a different result. I could have put my name forward and not gotten an interview for whatever reason, for the lack of background or otherwise. But you're not going to have the chance if you don't, you know, at least throw your name in. So um, I think that relates too to the concept of don't leave before you leave, you know, the Sheryl Sandberg lean in stuff, mm-hmm. um, her, her whole theory that women kind of lean out, mm. you know, you're at work, but you're not going to go for that prime assignment or the next ratchet up of responsibility because you're anticipating that you will have, um, you know, challenges or constraints due to the fact that, you know, most of us, even in pretty modern, balanced relationships, I mean, my husband and I, I mean, it is not close to (laughs) 50-50, but he probably does, you know, much more than his dad or my dad did and, you know, exponentially much more than the the generation before did. but, you know, I always have that thought in the back of my head, you know, can I go to this after work networking event that will give me the exposure and make it to daycare before the late fee kicks in, which is after five minutes, um, <laughs> you know, so it, yeah. it's always kind of operating within this really tight box and finding ways to work within that and still put yourself out there. I think that's, that's such a compelling story because it shows that once you go ahead and do it, you may well get selected. You were selected for a position that you almost, you know, just pre-selected yourself out of. And I think that's, right. that's true. I mean, it's struck by, and I know we're going to do another podcast on the Mansfield rule, which, you know, some firms have done. But I think part of the motivation behind that is make sure you are at least considering women and, and people of color and other individuals, LGBTQ plus and uh, disabled people, because they may not come forward and be in that pool. And, right. you know, and if you're not looking at them, you can't appreciate what they have to bring. So I think that's a that's just a great example in your career of where you get if you're if you go ahead and say, I will put my hat in the ring. I will try it. I think it's inspirational. I just heard a really cool quote in this um, breakfast I was at for women in the house that sort of spoke to this idea of how constrained we are as women and that you're sort of running the kids stuff and making sure you're making the breakfast and getting to some activities and you want to try to be 
what is it, June Cleaver, but also really good. At, and and what, what this lady said that was really, I think, pertinent is you can actually do it all. You just can't do it all every day. And if you let yourself know that, that as you sort of go by in your career and 10 years goes by, you'll actually look back and say, I, I actually did do it all. It's just if you try not to judge yourself every day on did I do it all today because you can't. It's a challenge, though. I mean, I have people routinely say to me, I don't know how you do it. As yep. a C-suite executive with a four-year-old and a five-year-old, and, and I do have a very supportive husband as well, who, uh, but he works full-time also. And it's, there's just so much guilt, I think, that comes along with it as well. I'm not um, able to make it to the 1.30 event at my children's daycare that's on a Tuesday. I can't um, Pinterest all their you know, Valentines myself. <laughs> I'm just buying them off the shelf. And it's, you have to make some concessions for sure. But um, as women, we do have to get past some of the guilt too. Yeah. For sure. And I think that these other, you know, these other things in our society, you know, the workplace has got to accommodate, you know, broaden the pipeline, um, promote women, give folks of diverse backgrounds a chance and, you know, to get in the door and then up the ladder. But also, you know, I had this kind of, you know, I'm just coming off maternity leave and I had maternity leave all summer. Um, and it was a unique experience. I mean, I got a summer break for the first time in decades. It was <laughs> kind of wonderful, but also exhausting. But, um, you know, and I signed my five-year-old up for swim team for the first time, which was really humorous and adorable. But um, the swim practices were 1.30 p.m. every day. And um, it occurred to me that this was probably the only summer that either she's going to practice or I'm taking her to practice, you know. And I'm just thinking, this is silly. You know, the, the swim team is designed, you know, presumably around the assumption that either one or both parents don't work. And I, you know... As an in-house lawyer, we are more flexible, you know, than other jobs. But still, you know, we have to be available to the business. Um, my husband is self-employed, um, but he's got a business to run. And um, I just was kind of, that was eye-opening to me. Um, so I think that, in you know, companies and businesses have to do better with regard to their employees. Women have to, you know, step up and take the responsibility for making the ask. But also, you know, the swim teams and the PTAs and the things where it really doesn't matter what time it is should be considering all of the experiences and you know the majority of families these days are two income yeah so I want that makes me think and I had never thought about it this way before but um, my son's on swim team too it's at 430 so mm -hmm. it's a little bit more doable but I have to leave activities at work in order to get him there um, that we should start not only encouraging you know whatever it is remote access or accommodations in the workplace but also to let folks know that women are working more now and so to the PTA president or to the swim coach or to whoever they are reminding them that in order to accommodate more families so maybe looking out even into those types of activities and remind them that in order for kids to be involved when a lot of people are working now right. that we might want to consider time frames that work for the workforce too yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I'm reminded by how fairly recently we had pretty significant discrimination and differential treatment across the areas. You look at, you know, for how long that there were no women judges in this country and now, yeah, breaking down those barriers and entering the bar. And, you know, I think about Sandra Day O'Connor being unable to get a job after graduating, you know, from a prominent law school because the assumption was no woman would want to work in a law firm and many people in Georgia. That's not that long ago. And, 
Um, and there are, I mean, we still live in a very, you know, gender stereotyped world. I remember, my wife's a family physician, I remember joining the auxiliary, which supports the physicians. I was law school at the time, but I thought, you know, that'd be interesting, and getting an invite saying that sundress was the proper attire uh, for the auxiliary <laughs> lunch, and joking about, I don't really what have color any sundress. Yeah, I don't really have any sundress. But the assumption was, and they said we've never had a man join the auxiliary oh, wow. before. That's awesome. And, you know, it was just that role of of, you know, this is still very, you know, stereotyped, and she still walks in and gets asked after spending 10 minutes with the patient, when's the doctor, you know, going to come in? And so really the takeaway from this podcast is... Mark is the trailblazer. <laughs> oh, it's all me. Yeah, yeah. We you knew that. We knew that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, we I, I just a long bring way it up go. because I think it's, you know, these patterns of stereotypes are ingrained over a long period of time. And I think it does, you know, it is both time and a change of attitude to begin to change that. And I don't, I think we do have a ways to go. And I think, you know, the, the guilt in the different roles is certainly true in two professional things. You know, I might miss my son's, you know, soccer practice, but I don't have great guilt. And in fact, right. if I take off early to go, I would be viewed as some kind of hero of, oh my gosh, right. Mark's going to, you know, coach his daughter's soccer team. Isn't that great? You know, and he, he left at 4.30 to go do that. So it's kind of praise if I'm doing that. Whereas if a woman tries to do that, it's like she's feeling guilty and now I've got to do this trade-off. And I just, I think there's still that societal perception that makes it easier for men to do those things because it's kind of unexpected. Um, and women are just, everyone assumes they're doing it. There's this societal pressure to do it, whether it's, you know, household chores or kid stuff. There, I do think there are there are differences and it's, it's not easy to, you can't just snap your fingers and say, no one, you know, is going to think about that or care about that anymore. It's, I feel like it's getting better. I don't want to totally throw cold water on it. I feel like at least folks are open now and there's not the malice maybe there used to be. They're open in the workplace to, okay, this happens and how can we accommodate it and how do we fix it? I think people, for instance, the swim coach is starting to be recognized more that there are work, more working moms where the recognition might not have been there before, but we still have a long way to go in terms of the guilt factor so that it's not there so that things can maybe be more seamless. So before I had kids and um, when I had my first baby, you know, I always would say I refuse to subscribe to the mom guilt industrial complex because there's a whole universe of podcasts that are like, dear mama, you're doing fine. You can leave your laundry around strewn about. Da, 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 da. Well, that whole world presupposes that you should feel guilty for not being perfect. Um, and so, you know, I was very, I was like, huh, I'm going to sit that out. I am just, I'm not subscribing to the standard. Therefore, I don't need anyone to tell me I'm okay. But it's been amazing to me as my career has progressed, you know, my nine to five is more intense. One child became three. And despite my rational mind saying that's ridiculous, you do internalize those standards. And so, you know, I don't want to say that it's all on us to be kinder to ourselves, but I think that does play a big role. And I think it's easier to be kind to yourself when, as you said, we are acknowledging it to one another. I think social media tends to paint this beautiful picture. Um, but a quote that kind of spoke to me, I read recently was, you know, don't compare your bloopers to other people's highlights reel, you know, because from the outside looking in, it can look like other working moms are doing it better or are unflappable. And I mean, really, if you have a real conversation with 
almost any working mom, we, we do not have it together at all. And, and that's okay. I mean, it's, it really is okay. Um, but yeah, I've been surprised by, you know, um, and I get all the time as well, how do you do it all? And I, my flippant response is always, I just lower my standards. And you have to, because you're not going to have, you know, a great productive work day and children that get bathed as often as they should. <laughs> um, you know, the meal that you made from scratch laundry um, put away. I mean, my, I never see my dining room table. That is where the laundry lives. <laughs> so I, I think being kind to yourself is, yeah. it's kind of a buzzy thing right now, but, but it's true. I think it'll be interesting as, um, as we watch time go by and more changes are being made, for example, with, you know, states like California requiring corporations to have so many women on their boards. And as the SEC starts looking at, you know, public companies with respect to the diversity of, like, including women on boards, obviously the trajectory is just going to continue. But it, it has been interesting to me to read about a lot of that where people are so, some um, commentators feel like so challenged to find women to sit on the corporate boards like oh they're out there we're here <laughs> right right um but it, it'll just be interesting to watch that change and it, it changes every day and gets better every day just as you were mentioning when i think there is like tying back to the you know making the ask and the compensation disparities you know i mean with this third kid came a nanny and um we are lucky you know we found a way to fit that into our household budget and without her, you know, I probably couldn't have swung this trip or, or many of the other things that I used to have to say no to. And lately I've been saying yes to. It's, it's weird. I feel like I'm able to lean in more after third kid because third kid justified the nanny, which, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, why? Why did I feel like I need, you know, why I couldn't get that help before? Um, you know, Greenville is not home to either my husband or, or I. You know, we have no family there. Um, it was a rough three previous years in Greenville. Like, I'm more relaxed with the third kid than I ever have been in my, you know, life as an adult working mom. So I think that it goes hand in hand. You know, if you pay women with parity and what they deserve, then they're able to, um, you know, finance the infrastructure that is necessary to make it all work. Yeah. I mean, it's right. a village, and sometimes you have to pay for that village. So I know there's been a lot of talk about um, pay equity and pretty concrete proof that right now we don't have it. In other words, we're getting paid less. I know one of the challenges is how do you really measure it? And, and some compensation systems are more objective than others. You know, I think of you know, profitability measures, for example, in a law firm. You can look at that data sheet and you know, compare. Uh, but a lot of other positions, including a lot of in-house positions, you don't have a profitability number at the end or a billable hour number uh, that's going to you know, guide some of that compensation. How do you know if you're being paid fairly and equally? Any, any thoughts on that? I mean, because I think that's, that is part of the challenge. If we're going to overcome disparity, we have to determine what the what fair pay is. Well, Kelly? there's a lot of you know there's a lot of HR corporate studies out there for um, particularly executive compensation that you can tap into and use as resources to um, to find that out. Some of the legislation that has been passed in many states about prohibiting the ask about prior pay, I think, has been very mm. interesting because I think asking about prior pay does work against women who have been traditionally underpaid. So um, I support that kind of legislation where you're you're not supposed to ask. Right. You should be paid for the position, not 
not what you got in your last job. Yeah, not what is it going to take for you to leave your current position to take this new job. It should be, no, here's what the new job is valued at. Here's what we think is a fair amount. And um, so that's been interesting. Yeah, no, that isn't. I think that is a good point because that that long pay history, particularly for people that have been in the workplace for a while, to the extent there was, you know, discrimination or pay differentials earlier, that history is going to perpetuate, right? If the, if, the, if the man was being paid more than the woman 20 years ago, and they've each continued, if, if every job, you know, kind of starts with, well, we'll give you 5% more than you were making at your last right. position, you're going to just, you're going to solidify and basically capture that differential. I feel like we're fortunate where we work to have some transparency, at least at an equity partner level also. And I didn't have that at my prior firm. And it wasn't until I was on the compensation committee that I appreciated that there was disparity. And in talking to some other women, what I found out is, again, women were less likely to ask each other or other people. That was an uncomfortable conversation. How much do you make? And I found out in talking to my male colleagues, they weren't that uncomfortable about that conversation at all. And so it took a lot longer without the transparency to even figure out that there was a disparity. Um, it prompted me to leave my firm when I found that out, frankly. Wow. Um, because, it, and there was nothing they could do at that point to fix it because I'd been underpaid compared to people that it right. shouldn't have been. But I don't know how- And Wobble's that. better off for it, I want to say. <laughs> we're, we're glad to have you with us, Kristen. Um, and, uh, but that's a great story because I do, and I think, that, that that it's another example of making the ask, right? Not only making the ask for the job or the promotion, but making the ask of other employees, coworkers, other people. What are you making in your job? What does your job entail? How is your compensation structured? How is your evaluation structured? Mm -hmm. That's another thing. I think there may be some traditional differences in gender. Do you talk about how you were scored or what you were told? And and without that information, you can't necessarily ferret out, right? Are they are they asking different questions about why you took three weeks off or what you did, right? I mean, I could yeah. certainly sometimes it could be you get those differences, but it, without communication and information, you're not going to know mm -hmm. that that was taking place. Yeah. You know, we've talked about um, the importance of making the ask. I think of it as, you know, and part of it, whether it's you call it leaning in or being agentic or assertive, you know, it's that doing it. What that that literature is great. It obviously prompted Jordan to apply for the job she has. For our listeners that hear that, can you give some other either tips or examples of how to do that? Because I think it's one thing to be told, "Oh, you need to lean in and, and do it," but you know, there's an inherent reluctance there. How do you how do you overcome that? How do you change that habit, that pattern? Any tips, Kelly? I would say find a mentor, someone that you trust and that you admire, who's accomplished it before, um, ask questions, read a lot. You know, there is a lot of literature about this now. But also, um, and, and when I say find a mentor, it doesn't necessarily have to be a female mentor or another colleague. For example, the my current position that I'm in now, I was referred by one of my male colleagues from previous. And, um, and quite frankly, I don't know that I would have thrown my hat in the ring for the top job if I hadn't been encouraged by him. So I think that's really important to to find those people who are going to support you and, and listen to them and and be willing to uh, to just, just throw your hat in the ring and try. Yeah. yeah. Any, any specific tips, Jordan? Well, I was going to say, yeah, asking questions. I mean, I attended a session yesterday on, you know, expanding your role beyond the legal role to get more involved with the business. Um, now, as a compliance manager, I kind of, you know, 
Kelly formerly had this role at Canal, so I'm looking at her as she well knows you're kind of sometimes too involved with the business. I mean, I am sometimes proofreading IT code to make <laughs> sure our forms triggers are in, on in the correct states. I mean, insurance, as I've learned, is a weird little world, but I like it. Um, <laughs> but just, you know, sometimes you're doing your legal task, you're reviewing the contract, you're helping with a transaction, you're kind of vetting out a, a potential strategy move. Um, but at the margins, you know, you know, getting the ear of the business leader and saying, um, you know, I realize this is time sensitive, but when you have a second, I would love to bend your ear just on like the meat around the transaction so that you're not just doing the finite legal task. I mean, you have to, you can't be, practice law in a vacuum anyway. I mean, you're going to have to know, can't just review a contract without knowing kind of what the goals are, who's impact apart, you know, what data are we getting? Where's it going? Who's keeping it? Is it safe? You know, all that stuff, but just thinking broadly and being willing to reach out and have ask questions beyond the bare minimum needed to do your job, um, you know, has helped me build relationships, which, you know, not only make my job easier, but also, you know, because I have those relationships and can get information quicker or um, learn to communicate with these folks, but also it's more rewarding because, you know, you have um, allies up the ladder or across the ladder or down the ladder, and then you know more and everyone benefits. So just asking the questions, just to reiterate that. Networking, I think mm. is that's important. Networking, there's a lot of um, local women's groups, you know, corporate women's groups. I think this is becoming more prevalent. Our, our company just is kicking one off the ground right now. So um, depending on what size of an organization you work for, you may find one internally. When I worked at a, my prior company, which was 50,000 employees. There were, of course, you know, subgroups, sub-supported groups for a variety of um, minorities. But seeking out support and just, again, being willing to listen to that and embrace that. And then I would encourage people, once you get to where you can offer support to others, I think that's incredibly important to pay it back. To pay yep. it back. And I feel like in, in addition to the networking and the mentoring is, is having a sponsor, mm -hmm. which to me is a little different. Somebody that's actually willing to throw your hat in the ring for you yes. or encourage you. And mine have routinely been men as well, some women, but having a diverse group of people that support you and then making a business case. I try to just take the emotion out of it. Making a business case helps me with the ask in terms of here's what I really wanted to accomplish and here's what I did accomplish. Is there anything else that you think I should be doing? So you can have that dialogue. It makes it more comfortable, I feel like, to have the ask when you have the metrics. And, and kind of on the topic of mentors and sponsors, we were talking a little bit before, um, before we went live just about the study showing the frequency with which women are interrupted in meetings um, versus men. And um, when you're aware of that dynamic and watch it play out, even in well-intended meetings, uh, you can support your fellow women in meetings. If you notice someone's getting interrupted, um, you can say, well, that was a great point, or um, to her point, and you can reinforce in that way. And I mean, and people will be interrupted, you know, if you see a guy or a person of color being interrupted, um, you know, just kind of policing that, and everyone benefits from that. But these dynamics do play out differently for women and for folks of color. So just being aware of that and supporting, um, and hopefully that support is reciprocal. I've actually read some articles about women who will kind of have each other's backs, you know, explicitly and say, hey, we're going in this meeting. If you see this happening to me, can you help me double down on it? Or, and, you know, that's, that's not a bad idea for sure. Yeah, I think that's great. 
I wanted to, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to talk a little bit specifically about leadership and women in leadership. I feel lucky to be at a firm that's headed by a woman with an all-woman executive committee. I think we're the only AmLaw 100 firm, though, that has an all-woman executive committee. So that is an unusual uh, process, and a, and a small minority are actually headed by women even, even now. And I, I just wonder if, if you guys have thoughts about how we encourage that leadership. It may be part of the same making the ask that we're talking about, but you know, what what do you see in terms of you know trying to get more women into that, into those leadership roles in firms, in companies, uh, in the boardroom? I feel like it's self. This is not a dodge, but I feel like it is self-perpetuating because of the importance of representation. When you see women that are like you, uh, juggling what you're juggling in those positions, you think, well, I can do that, you know. Um, and just having that as, as an option changes things because, you know, you can build towards that and it's not just pie in the sky, well, you know, I couldn't swing that, I have too much else going on. So, you know, having firms like yours that have that, I mean, that's great, you know, talk about broadening the pipeline of candidates, um, making sure women are being proportionally advanced upward through the company. But it's not going to be a silver bullet. I mean, it is something that's going to take time. And I think a lot of progress has been made. We're not there yet. Um, I think a lot of the puzzle pieces are in place. You know, you talked about companies, what companies have to do, what women as individual employees have to do, you know, what the soccer teams of America need to do. Um, <laughs> we just need that final push. And I, I, honestly, I don't think it's going to be the final push because despite everything, we still, as women, do the majority at home. And that, I don't see that dynamic changing across the board very soon. And that's a whole other podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and some families do. You know, I, I read a lot of this, this topic fascinates me. And some families really do draw a straight line down the middle and that is how they do it. But often that is not how it lands. Um, and sometimes it's just not, I mean, for us, my husband's an hour and a half out of town, so he's out the door by 5.30. So even if we were so inclined, that's just, you know, for various reasons, um, women do have this second shift. And so, yeah, I don't know, just um, making sure we keep progressing on all these fronts that I, I really think that's what's going to get us there. Great. Kelly? I think, I think with respect to leadership and encouraging leadership by women in organizations. For one, you have to take a, take the time to kind of redefine what you think leadership actually is and what it looks like and appreciate the fact that not all leaders lead in the same way and organizations can benefit from different approaches to things. And I think historically, and the research would show that women often have different approaches to handling situations than, than men do. This is, of course, not every woman and every man, but you know, there are some demonstrable differences to how some subgroups of women approach things. And I think just recognizing that there is a benefit to that, to giving a different perspective in the boardroom. And there's a lot of value in that, I think, for organizations. I feel like just encouraging the women in leadership too. I mean, I, I think it's the coolest thing that we're led by a group of women and hearing their stories that I can empathize with, that they've gone through things. And I think even no matter how high you get up, it, it's nice to hear that some other woman recognizes what you did. And so I try to, even to my boss's boss, let them know that. <laughs> yeah. I think it helps them continue on you know the path that they're on, which I think is fantastic. I guess one more thought on that. Yeah, it just Jordan. occurred to me. I have a team of 
gosh, at, at the moment, all women. And I really try to be very open when I'm leaving work for um, parenthood or family-related reasons. You know, so, sometimes I'm like too open. I'm like, am I am I diminishing my stature here by constantly being off to the pumpkin patch? But um, I really want to normalize that so that they see that that part of their life be pushed to the corner. That that it's possible to do both, um, not perfectly and not at the same time. And I think that women as leaders, you know, um, at any level, but certainly the women at the top, you know, sh- should not hide the struggle and the challenge. And, and men shouldn't either. I right. think we all could benefit from being more open about the fact that there are these trade-offs. I think that's such a great comment, Jordan, because I think, and I do, I think it applies to both genders. I know for a long time, I take some vacations. I like vacationing. I talk to people about vacationing. But I would be very reluctant to talk to other people in the firm or partners. I might know my auto response, even within the firm, would just be, I'm out of the office this week. You know, I wouldn't say I'm on vacation. I wouldn't tell people I'm planning to be on vacation. And I said, this is good. And we, we've just expanded our vacation policy. We, we find people are not taking enough vacation. Um, but I think we have a duty, you know, as leaders, if, if I as a partner don't want to talk about the fact that I'm going to be taking vacation, how's my associate going to feel about saying, hey, I want to come take vacation? But if I'm open and saying, hey, I've got a big, I'm going on vacation for two weeks next summer, and I'm talking about it, it normalizes it. It says it's okay. And I think whether it's a two-week vacation or leaving early for a child or taking some time off to do community service, whatever whatever you're doing, whatever you outside, it conveys two very important messages. There's life outside of work right and I'm not going to hide it and it normalizes to use your word Jordan that this is something everybody should feel comfortable doing Um, because people do it anyway but now they have to feel like they're hiding the fact that they left early to pick up their kid from school or go to an activity or go volunteer in a community group because it's not normalized so that's a wonderful comment I think we could all you know set a better example people do it but if you see you're doing it you can be open about it we can acknowledge it and it removes some stigma around you know the fact that you're not working 100 hours a week every week or whatever your expectation is because people aren't but you know there's this sense of i can't talk about right. uh that all that other part of my life and i, I think that's so thank you that i think that's a Really powerful comment. I appreciate it. Any other? I know we're almost out of time. Any other final, final remarks or closing comments from from either of you, Kelly, Kristen? Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I think we've covered a lot of ground here. I mean, but I would again, you know, I think there's a lot of information out there to help encourage women. And I would, you know, if, if it's if leadership and being in the C-suite and being at you know a partner in a law firm is a trajectory that other women are interested in pursuing, I would certainly encourage anybody to, you know, read about making the ask, like, get the data, get the information about salaries, you know, arm yourself with the tools that you need to get there. And then a lot of it is just finding the confidence within yourself to actually step up and and do it. And get involved. I mean, we talked about networking, mentoring, joining groups. There's a ton of women's groups, but you don't feel like so much of an island when you realize we're all kind of going through the same struggle. And frankly, it helps your networking group. It helps you grow. So just getting out of your office and getting involved. It's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I really do think we, this topic is huge, um, but I think we've covered a lot. And um, personally, I'll say when I put my hat in for Canal, seeing that Kelly had been there before also made me feel pretty good. And so I think that 
just um, you know, looking out for each other and it's going to, um, progress is going to perpetuate itself, um, but just being aware of these dynamics as they play out and, um, and pay it forward, for sure, is important. Well, I want to thank you, Kelly, Christian, Jordan. You've all really provided some good, helpful uh, thoughts and, and, and really provided some insight on this important topic. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um, I do want to remind our listeners you can find prior episodes of the In-House Roundhouse at WombleBondDickinson.com. You can also subscribe there or on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. I appreciate you listening today. This has been the In-House Roundhouse. We will see you at the next station. In-House Roundhouse is a production of Womble Bond Dickinson. Brian Ewing is our producer and Robert Daughtry is our audio engineer.